Welcome to another episode of 22 at the Lips. This is the podcast from EMS providers to EMS providers and anybody and everybody in between. Our goal is to create educational topics for the listeners as well as real life topics of things that we come encounter with in the field almost on a consistent daily basis. Not only do I have a very special guest with us today, I also, if you can see it, if you're watching me YouTube, I have a shirt with my dog's face on it for good luck for today. Um, this is Buster Beans, aka Jumping Bean or Sleepy Bean or Cuddly Bean as he's been lately. He is the light of my life. So with that aside, um, I have with me a very special guest today. Her name is Jenna. She is from the United States, so we're probably going to miss out on that Canadian accent like we've had a couple of times, but it's okay. Um, Jenna is really cool and she's well together we're going to touch on a topic that i feel like is skipped over in paramedic school and emt school and almost treated as something that like you just have to experience in the field so i feel like it's something that really needs to be brought to light and this is something that jenna wants to talk about it is not my area of specialty so i'm very excited to hear what she has to say and Jenna, I hope you take a lot of the conversation because I just have a couple of pointers and questions, but it's all you, sis. So, yeah, no, totally fair. If you want to tell the people a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you stand for, go ahead. Uh, so, I'm Jenna, uh, last name. Usually on Master Your Medics, it'll be Jenna Lorac, but I currently get married. So, it's Marsh, way easier to pronounce. There's no cues in it, doesn't throw people off. Um, I've been in EMS for about eight and a half-ish years now, three years as a uh, as an EMT, which was super nice because here in Colorado, we actually have an additional certification so we can get an IV certification and it kind of puts us as an EMT advanced in other states. So it's, it's pretty cool. So I've been running 911s basically for eight years um, and then five and a half-ish years as a paramedic. Um, right now I'm with the fire service on the ambulance, but I do have some experience on the helicopter. Turns out it makes me sick. So it's not exactly anything that I'd like to continue to do, which is how I've still stayed on the ambulance. I do like the 911 side. I'll be honest. Interfacility transfers are not my, are not my jam, but some people love them. Um, otherwise for the most part today really is going to be psychiatric patients, which if I'm being honest, are my favorite. Love them. No offense. Why do you love those calls? Because it's not that I dread going to them. I just, maybe I've had really terrible experiences with site calls that I'm like, at any second, they're just going to flip. Like I'm low key already like reaching towards the verse said before we even get on scene. Cause I'm like, I'm not, I can't do this today. I'm not dealing with this. Right. And that's a lot of people's take on it. Um, to me, really, the thing that I like the most is the way that the human mind works, because it's so it's so weird. I mean, to be perfectly honest, you can run a diabetic call, and there's going to be one of two things. It's going to be hypoglycemia or hyperglycemia, and you're going to treat it based on your guidelines, right? So don't get me wrong. There's a little bit of deviation that you can do like with medicine, but the hard part about psychiatric calls is that your medicine is your words. No one can really teach you how to do that. And it is, it, it is skipped over a lot in, in paramedic school, even in EMT school, they're basically just like, recognize it as a psych patient. Um, 
you know, they don't, they don't really cover it. That's pretty much what it is. Like recognize that it's a psych patient. Basically, if you need to leave the scene for your own scene safety, totally fine. They don't really work on verbal de-escalation or de-escalation um, or like what we call verbal jujitsu because it is, that's one of those things that it's super hard to, to learn in school, but it's also even harder when they don't go over it. Um, it is, it's one of those things that's just, it's skipped over. So it's, it's one of those that the human mind fascinates me, uh, not enough to the point where I actually want to do psychology. It's just enough to be able to, to work on. And it is really cool to be able to see that particular, um, that particular medicine, and I'm using air quotes, come into play and and be seen and have that direct impact. So pretty much how you talk to the patient, how you treat the patient really is going to end up determining how that call goes. There are a few times where it's not going to matter what you do, what you say, you're going to need the Versed. Uh, some places still use ketamine. I wish we did. Um, but unfortunately, that is no longer in our guidelines and our scope of practice. I think it's still in our scope of practice, but not in our guidelines. They won't let us use it. Plus, we have a ketamine shortage, so it doesn't really matter. But no, I I, I love them because they can be some of the most wholesome call <clears throat> wholesome calls that you get. Sorry, I don't want to toot my own horn, but we still carry ketamine and. I worked for a year in Utah, especially when I first got my paramedic. I was out in Utah last year and I'm so used to saying Versed just because it's like, that's, we didn't have ketamine, um, which is a whole other topic and stuff. Why did we didn't have it? But ketamine is fantastic with those patients that you can't just verbal jujitsu yourself out of. Like it's, I do love me some ketamine. Um, so I, I want to cover something that's like your first point during your site calls and something that you have to have from the get-go and need to have continuously throughout the call. And we're going back to national registry testing, BSI, is my scene safe? And I want to throw this out there too. Depending on what your call notes are, depending on your dispatches and stuff like that, you should already have police en route to these more hairy, scary psychiatric calls. But even still like if you're going to one and you're getting some call notes and you just don't sound comfortable, please get police en route. Um, it's, I mean, you don't want to, how do I put this? You don't want to go in with the prejudice before that call of like, oh, we're going to need police. This patient's going to be combative and crazy. And like, it's going to, we're going to be in danger. It's not always like that. However, sometimes it is. Um, I personally have been on a psychiatric call that police got there and we were like, did you make sure that we got in the notes that the patient was like throwing knives and stuff like this. And so me and my partner, we walk up to the police and we're like, you made sure that he didn't have anything. And the officer was like, oh yeah, yeah, no, we checked him. He's good. I got a gun pulled on me. And that is something I think also from that day that like, I have like this edge with site calls just because even if which that officer was not the best but um no offense against officers but um it's just something that since then in the wrongest way it's kind of been like burned in my brain of like scene safety um 
So Jen, if you want to talk on that, like how do you how do you stay focused on your patient care and talking to your your patient, but also remembering like you can't turn your back on them and you have to be constantly watching all four corners of the room and then like what I say is like watching for that light switch of when the patient goes from like cooperative and calm to just like the light switches off and everything breaks loose. Like what, what do you do in those situations? How do you mitigate all of these issues along the way? Um, one of the things that I highly, highly, highly stress is teamwork. Um, four eyes are better than two. That being said, that doesn't mean that you can absolutely just go in with a sense of blase, like everything's going to be okay. Cause we have, a, we have people just because you have people doesn't necessarily mean you're safe. Right. Um, but know that you are going to need to maintain that heightened sense of awareness. You know that you are going to have to watch your patient. So don't get me wrong. Every time you go in on a scene, whenever you are looking, like whenever you're assessing the patient, you're not only assessing the patient, but you should also be assessing their surroundings. Because like, just like on a medical call, maybe you maybe someone doesn't see the fact that there's 12 empty, you know, handles of vodka over here or, you know, drug paraphernalia over there. And if you're not looking at the scene, you might not be able to clue yourself in as to what's happening with this patient. So same concept. Um, you're just taking it to a different level because now at this point, since it could be a psychiatric, uh, a psychiatric call, you have to not only see the surroundings, but see what could be potentially used as a weapon. So just keep things in mind. Um, start like on every call, get in the habit of making sure that you maintain eye contact with your patient or that you maintain visualization with your patient. So that way, when that time comes, when you do have that call, you're already you have that muscle memory going because that's what you're going to default back on is the things that you have learned throughout your entire career. Um, and also like not, not to bash on law enforcement because they are some of our greatest assets. Um, that's one of those things kind of like you were talking about, it, you might not need them, um, but they're better to have kind of like you might not need your jump kit, but you're going to bring it in anyway. So there's no point in having it. Worst case scenario, you're like, okay, bye. Like, have a good day. Don't want to see you again today. You say that all the time. Be like, Hey, it was nice to see you, but if I don't see you again, we're not going to be that upset. Um, and then there has been an episode where I had a psychiatric patient and I was able to do some verbal de-escalation, de-escalation. For some reason, I can't seem to say that word, de-escalation. Um, I was able to de-escalate the situation and then law enforcement came and they got him all riled up. We got him in the back of the ambulance. That patient started talking smack to the, to the law enforcement officer. He started talking smack back because let's be honest, if they're criminals or if they're not the nicest people, there is no one that is off topic. They will insult you. They will insult your family. They will insult your, your pets, <laughs> like everything. There is nothing off topic for them. So you have to realize that like, know what your triggers are. That's going to be, that will make you respond back in anger because you need to be able to recognize that and tone it back. 
because how you talk back to them is how they're going to escalate. They're going to continue that escalation. And if they know that they got under your skin, it's kind of like siblings, right? Where you sit there and like, you know how to push their buttons. My sister and I used to do that all the time. She was real great at it. Like she would just have to say one single phrase and I'm just, "Ah." it's the same thing. Once they know they have you, they have control. So that's one of the bigger things is you have to maintain control of your tone. You have to maintain maintain control of your face and your and your body language as well. So that's one of the biggest things is that's one of the biggest tools is going to be you as a person. That's going to be your biggest advantage that you have. Because once they escalate things, if they know that they have you, they're going to keep going. I want to highlight something you talked about that I never thought about. Um but like watching what you say and kind of just along those lines, like your tone, how you talk and not letting them get to you. I I've noticed that on some site calls where like the person's getting riled up and again, not to bash on our police officers, but the things that they say are just, they're, they're pissing off the patient and it's not that they're doing it intentionally. It's just whatever. It's not my, side of first response so i don't know but um i i remember like clearing up some psych calls and just being exhausted just mentally exhausted and just like even just in the back while i'm exhausted just like i do this thing because like you talked about i don't want to lose my cool in front of the patient i don't want to know i don't want to let them know that what they said aggravated me or the way they're acting is pissing me off anything like that so like I'll get in the cabin's chair behind the patient and just like like make a face, like a really angry face to myself, and then like game face and then go back and ask them a question or anything like that. Um, but I think that mental exhaustion is also just like on a medical call that's you know, the patient's going down the drain on scene and you still have to transport and all this stuff. And but like you have to keep that calm, cool, collected feel. Like you're saying, you also have to have that on the site calls because it's you you hit the nail on the head. Once they find that little weak spot, they're like sharks. And they don't do it with malicious intent. It's just whatever problem they have going on right then, whatever meltdown it is. Uh in my from what I've seen, sometimes it's just they don't have the finances or the means to refill their medications. And so they literally can't help how they're acting. It is chemical imbalance. It is you know, sometimes um, from one site patient that we used to have frequently, um, it's just like PTSD and little triggers that they're still learning along the way of their life, like sets them off. And so then they have to be transported because they can't be left at home. So it's it's not just these patients are being buttholes to everybody. Sometimes they literally can't help it. And then sometimes there are the ones that they they're being little toots and it's just because they want to be whatever, but going in with the mindset of like, this person is having this emergency or this issue and they can't help it. It kind of, that's what changed for me along the way, instead of just like others, persons just being a butthole because they can, and they're rude and they're disrespectful. Having that different mindset changes the way you approach the situation. It changes your topic of, do I just, slam them down with ketamine and snow them or do i actually give this person some space to talk and listen to for the first time that they probably haven't had in 
who knows how long. Right. Um, so the way that I kind of look at it is if like, what if, what if I was having a bad day? Someone came into my house and tried to tell me how to feel. That would piss me off to no extent. So a lot of times it's not even really, and you also have to remember um, that they're not mad at you. They're mad at something else and they are taking it out on you. It's nothing that you did, although sometimes it can be depending on how you how you treat the patient. Um, but for the most part, like it's it's them. It's them not knowing sometimes how to regulate their emotions. It's them not knowing um, the situation. And, and a lot of times it's them not being able to have control over that. So imagine someone comes in and tells you, no, no, you have to be happy today. You can't be mad. There's no reason for you to be mad. Your feelings are not validated. They are not valid at all. There's no reason you should feel this way. Kind of like when you get in an argument with someone and they're just like, you just need to calm down. Excuse me. Uh, I will punch you. Like I will just right in the throat. Kind of like on a identity theft, identity thief, where she just like right in the throat. No. <laughs> so you have to remember that like people have bad days. Um, you basically just have to let them yell and scream it out. Even if it's at you, like you might be the punching, the verbal punching bag. That being said, try not to escalate it. Let them have their bad day. Like try to talk to them and be like, Hey, like, I understand that you're mad. What are you upset about? Lead them to be able to get down to the root of their feelings. Because a lot of times people don't know how to analyze that mental health has been on the back burner for a long time. And I do have to say one of the best things that did come out of COVID was the fact that people are now taking mental health a lot more seriously. Um, it's, it's not one of those things where like, Oh, you can just brush it off. Like, just, just, just be happy. Think happy thoughts. You're not Tinkerbell. Like that's not how that works. Um, so remember, they're not mad at you. They're mad at the situation and they're taking it out on you. Now, when it starts to get physical, that's a whole different category. Um, but let them have their moment. That was one of the, so I used to actually work. There are a couple of factors that came into that because I have, you can have empathy I never tell them I know how they feel because I don't, I don't know how they feel. I can understand why they feel that way. And I can kind of understand, you know, a little bit of that feeling, but I don't know exactly how they feel at that moment. So never, ever, 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 ever tell a patient, Oh, I know exactly how you feel because you don't. Um, but one of the things that I learned was not only when I worked at the prison, but also when I was in boot camp. and that goes down to when you're having a bad day, Sometimes you just need to have a bad day. But then when I was in boot camp and I had a bad day, I didn't get a chance to take a break from everybody. I didn't get a, a chance to like walk away and decompress and calm down. No, no. I was in a compartment with at least 20 other girls and then a whole nother side. And then my, my, we called them RDCs, recruit division commanders. It's essentially the, I don't know what they call them in the army or the Marines, but your drill instructor, I guess. You don't get a step away. So I know that feeling so I can empathize with that. And one of the lessons that I learned when I was working in the prison is I had an inmate. He got an attitude with me and he was usually generally a pretty nice guy, but he got an attitude with me. And I'm like, hey, man, like totally get it. He wasn't he wasn't super mean, but I let him have his moment. 
he like he ended up going back to his cell and then later on that day he came back and apologized but because i let him have his moment and i didn't escalate the situation both parties ended up okay he ended up having respect for me because i let him have his moment and i ended up knowing that i can trust that person so let them have their moment that's really the big thing of it and a lot of people don't so in that idea of letting them have their moment which was really really good i've never i mean i've i deal decently with our psych patients but having the mindset of like they're you know maybe they're having a bad day or like you can't tell somebody how to feel and then the analogy of somebody telling you to calm down which makes everything so much worse i may or may not be guilty of being the one to say just calm down everything's okay you're fine i have been that person and i apologize to my patients but um kind of in that vein like when is the point where you stop asking questions and stop you know making comments and remarking and trying to like give that little bit of like get to know you ish side of dealing with your psych patients where's the moment where you just stop asking questions stop talking just like take a step back and let them have that moment because i mean to an extent we need to know like do they have any suicidal ideations do they have homicidal ideations do they have any hallucinations um what is their medical history all that stuff in the middle of them having that moment during that call so like is there specific like body language indicators you look for or you know certain things that the patient starts saying like what is your telltale sign slash signs um usually i let them have their moment i usually have the this a lot of times and it and it's again it's it's dependent it's dynamic with every situation right but a lot of times i'll be like hey like i have to ask a couple of questions um and then once I see if they start to get a little bit more agitated, that's kind of when I back off. And then also, um, even if they don't show that agitation, sometimes they'll show the opposite where they just kind of shut down. I'll be like, hey, are you okay if we just sit here in silence? And like, if you want to, we can just ride in complete silence for the rest of the, for the rest of this transport. Um, but I do have to know this particular information. Otherwise, I will leave you alone. And most of the time they're like, okay, they'll answer the couple questions that I have. And I'm just like, okay, a lot of times I'll be like, do you just want me to turn the lights down a little bit and you can just try and relax on the way in. And they'll be like, that would be great. So I do, I try and make it like, I try and read their body language as if they, like, if they start to get a little bit more heightened and a little bit more agitated, or if they start to like go back into themselves. Um, those are kind of my indicators that I have maybe one or two more questions that I can ask. And then I will try and offer a little bit of um, a little bit of comfort measures for them because that actually goes a long way. Talking about questions that you ask, it's not that I struggle with it. I just feel like I never can fluidly throw it into the conversation. I guess. Um, how do you get on like the asking questions of if the patient is? suicidal or homicidal which sounds like such an easy thing to ask but like they didn't get to the point of like well are you having any auditory hallucinations seeing things that aren't there like maybe it's just me i feel almost embarrassed to ask that just because it's like i feel like i'm just ostracizing like yeah 
you're not okay. And I'm going to point out even further that you're not okay. And you're probably seeing things that aren't there because you're a psych patient. Like, is that just me? Or is there like a better way to ask those questions and word it? Like, am I doing something wrong? No. Um, and that's, that's actually a lot of people. A lot of people struggle asking that question. It's kind of along the same lines of a guy asking, is there a possibility that you're pregnant? When was your last menstrual cycle? Like a lot of guys, it's very uncomfortable. Some people don't care. Like some people just blurt it out, whatever. Um, so it can be, it can be very uncomfortable because it is, it's very personal, but it is something that you need to know really the only, the only way to do it. And it sounds, sounds easier than it is, especially like if you're in that situation, the only way to do it is be like, Hey, did you have any thoughts of wanting to hurt yourself today? And it can be, a lot of it is really just your, your delivery, um, your tone, how you deliver it, how you talk to them. Um, cause I mean, I don't know if you've ever done the, if you've ever transferred a patient to the hospital and the nurse is just like, have you ever thought, have, have you had any kind of, have you had any suicidal or homicidal ideations? And they go off that checklist. Don't make it sound like a checklist. Make it sound like you're legitimately concerned for their well-being. Be like, Hey, I have to ask, like, do you have, and that's, that's one of the things that you can lead with. I have to ask, do you have any thoughts of wanting to hurt yourself or others? And it's really in the delivery. Um, you can absolutely be blunt about it. And I have been, um, because there are times where, you know, you just don't have time to beat around the bush. You'd be like, Hey, did you want to kill yourself today? Especially if they've taken any kind of medication or they've tried to do any self-harm, self-mutilation, just it's really just getting comfortable asking it. The more, the more you do it, the easier it is, but it's still uncomfortable to an extent, but it's, you just got to get it out there. Yeah. It's really, it's really all in the delivery. And another part of that is just, I don't, for me, like, I just, I feel bad that some of those people are in those situations because based on their environment or their how about this circumstances yeah based on their environment based on their circumstances and their like their ability to receive help for their mental health issues and stuff like that sometimes it can be the ability to empathize versus sympathize because it's that person and, and like everything is in their perspective of their circumstances and their access to get mental health help or their inability to. And it's what they're going through that, at that exact moment. And you can't change what they have or haven't done or have or have, have said, but kind of like to talk about just having that ability to empathize, put yourself in their shoes a little bit, not in a judgmental way of like, oh, well, I would have done this or I would have said this, but more or less of like, this person has this issue right now. It is the number one thing in their life right now. They're in the back of an ambulance for this thing. Like this is an actual issue. And when I'm able to kind of shift mindset myself with the patient, it changes my approach because it's not so much like, oh my God, it's it's this patient again for the third time this week, calling for this thing. And like, here we go. But like having that that empathy to just kind of Put yourself in their shoes. It takes about five seconds. Put yourself in their shoes and think like, if I was going through this, how would I want my provider to be? Like, how would I want to be spoken to? And I mean, you can't, you can't 
change what other people are going to do and say like on scene or when you drop off at the hospital et cetera, et cetera. but having like that one person to at least stand in the corner for about five minutes because um i i'm not going to out myself right now but i have been in a smaller smaller setting like that that patient that had a lot going on and thankfully i had somebody and this was years and years and years ago i had somebody that responded that was very empathetic and was very understanding and just gave me room to talk and talk to me about a whole bunch of stuff i ended up not getting transported it was cool but um just having that that provider that actually gave a rip for better speaking um kind of also shaped the way that i want to talk to patients and it's hard when you're seeing that same patient for the third time this week for the same thing medically or slight. I mean, it could be psych induced, but that's none of my business. Or it's near the end of your shift and you're mentally and emotionally exhausted. And then you get that one call and you just, you don't have it in you. Um, it's hard, but it mitigates the need to just as soon as you're rolling up on scene, go ahead and grab your needle, your five mil, three mil, the Academy universe said, walking in with that attitude. Yeah. Um, and so I'll actually share my story because uh, I'm a big advocate on mental health. I also, I can joke about it now. Um, I was real mad when it happened. But when I was in the Navy, I, that's like the one job that you can't quit, right? so it's not like you can give you two weeks notice and be like peace out i'm done um i was struggling i'm struggling mentally so i was having a hard time with my chain of command with people that i was working with and then not only that i was married at the time and he was in a completely different state so um relationship issues work issues and i was just having a hard time felt like i was in a black hole waking up like hated every single day um i did try and use the resources that were available to me at the time they weren't necessarily the best. So I did try to go to um, our head corpsman and be like, hey, look, I think I need a little bit more resources. He's just like, nah, you're fine. Essentially walk it off. Um, so then I had a moment where I was just like, I didn't necessarily want to kill myself, but I didn't want to exist. So at the behest of my chain of command, I went to the ER and I quickly learned that you should not joke around with physicians. <laughs> Because what happened was when I went, they were like, well, did you want to kill yourself? I was just like, not, not really. I don't even know if they asked that. They just said, did you have a plan? And I was just like, well, well, no, but I know there's always the t classic toaster in the bathtub. Oh God. So, so I said that, <laughs> um, and I did, I ended up on a 72 hour hold. I was absolutely pissed. I was beyond livid because I thought that I was going to be able to go home. But no, I'm going to tell you right now that 72 hour hold was probably the most relaxed. I like after I got over the initial anger, basically being kidnapped, it felt like um, it was probably the most relaxing 72 hours that I've had in a long time at that point. Um, I made made a couple of friends there and you'd be surprised at the different types of people there. It's not just a single type of person. One person was a chief, so an E7, 
and he was struggling with issues and he was there for, for help. Um, there was another girl there that was there for postpartum depression and then just the dynamic of people that were there. And you realize that it's not just you, you're not alone in this. Um, I also got to play with like little clay figures and made a little dinosaur with a bow. It was adorable. And I got a color. It was fantastic. Uh, the running joke there was to try and do something. They're like, what do we have to do to get the needle? And essentially they, they meant like get sedated. Uh, no one got sedated while I was there, but it was just really cool to see all the different people with the different backgrounds and different experiences that they've had in life. Um, and again, like I was pissed at the time, like real mad, but it gave me an appreciation for, for people and how they talk to you and how they interact with you. Um, because how they talk to you determines how you respond to them. And it did, it, it was kind of an awakening to be a little bit more, um, cognizant of my feelings and to evaluate why I'm, why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. So it was definitely a learning experience. Uh, and it, it has translated into my job today. So I, I do have to be thankful for that. Uh, I've, I've learned to have better healthy coping mechanisms and be a little bit more in tune with myself. But that's also one of the things that I relate to whenever I have these patients. It's it's pretty pretty cool. But then also like going back to my childhood, God bless my sister. She doesn't mean to. She's not the only person. I've had supervisors do this. I've had partners do this. There are some people, they don't mean to, but their tone of voice is condescending all the time that is just their tone of voice they don't mean to do it they don't know they're doing it but i didn't realize why it pissed me off when these certain people would talk to me the way that they would and then i'm like uh bing bing i heard it one day and i was just like light bulb went off so i'm just like oh then i was able to evaluate that it's not me that they're talking to like that it's everyone so I'm not the one that's dumb. They just talk to everyone like they're dumb. <sighs> but it does it does get frustrating. But it is one of those things that can clue you in on um, on why some people are better at talking to to people than others. Like why some people are more respected than others. And a lot of it is how they how they talk. Yeah. No. One hundred percent. And I don't want to say I talk in a different way to psych patients than I do everybody else, but I have noticed that I get a little more high pitched and I elongate some of my words, not in a way that's like, I feel like they're dumb and I need to talk to them that way. But just because if not, I get like this monotone, whatever, and it almost sounds like I don't care. And that's, that's not even remotely close. That's not it. It's just how my voice ends up, if that makes sense. It's your customer service voice. It, 100%. And I didn't realize it till I had a partner who pointed that out. And she was like, every time we have a psych patient, you talk, you talk more girly. And I'm like, I'm just trying to not piss anybody off. Right. <laughs> That's, all That's totally fair, though. That's totally fair. I mean, it's kind of like when you talk to kids versus adults versus, you know, dogs, like, oh, hey there, buddy. So I mean, like, you have a different voice for a bunch of different things. So it makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, Jenna, that's that's all I have. If you have any last questions, pointers, remarks, commentary, anything, that's that's all I have. That's fair. 
Um, really the only thing that I, that I want to add to that is that sometimes your verbal de-escalation, de-escalation, dang it, your verbal de-escalation is not going to work. And you have to realize that. And at that point, all hands on deck, do it safely. If you're going to give drugs, attempt to get a set of vitals. If you can't get a set of vitals, like blood pressure, heart rate, at least do skin tone, um, skin tone, uh, respirations, like, are they shallow? Like, that's the big thing. Uh, cause a lot of people forget that, like, I have to get a blood pressure. Mm, if you're going to fight me, no, no. If there are some people, and that's, that's another thing I do kind of want to point out is that if you do have a psychiatric patient and you are afraid that they will lash out at you, make sure you talk your way through everything. Um, be like, Hey, do you care if I do a blood pressure? I'm just going to put this on your arm real fast. After we get this one, you know, we can take it off and leave it at that. Um, there are sometimes you can bargain with them. That's one of those times. Um, otherwise like don't, don't risk your safety and everyone else's safety for blood pressure. It's not worth it. So that's, that's pretty much it. And then if you got to go to the needle you got to go to the needle, but make sure you have help. Don't just be like, surprise. <laughs> surprise. Yeah. That's no matter, even in psych holes, even not in psych holes. There's a reason why it is embedded in our brains. BSI is my safe because if you don't, if you don't feel like you're going to be safe, there are ways to correct that issue with other resources and slash or the things we carry at our service on our belt. Again, not saying that's the first thing you should jump to, but if there is a possibility of danger for you or your partner, and ultimately for the patient, they're going to hurt themselves. I have seen a patient try to hurt himself trying to get out of the restraints in the back. Like it's if it's also an issue to your patient, it's it's time to bring out the uh, medication. But not always the first thing you should jump for. Yep. So. Cognizant that your situation, your surroundings can change all the time. I know National Registry says BSI seen safe. And like at that point, it almost sounds like you're like, oh, like my skin is safe the whole time. Nope, just constantly reevaluate. Just like your patient, you're going to keep reevaluating. Like my partner told me one time um, when I noticed he was really twitchy on a scene, like after we cleared up and stuff, I was like, dude, what was your deal on that? He's like, you know what I realized? He said, while we're in that house, I don't know who else is in the other rooms and it's just us. Police aren't going to get here yet. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like we didn't know it was a call like that until we got on scene, but. I don't know. I was an EMT and I never thought of that. I was like, oh my God, this job is really scary. It is. Um, and if it ever gets to that point, like if at any point, like you are assessing the patient and you don't feel safe, you can absolutely leave, go to your ambulance, park around the block and then have law enforcement come. You do not have to stay at risk of your safety. Mm -mm. It's not worth no. it. Nope. Not even a little bit. Well, Jenna, if that's all you got, that's all I got. Yeah. Buster Beans is on my shirt, and we're going to wrap up this episode as we do every single time. But first, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, leave a comment, send an email, do what you got to do. I would love to hear from other people if they have any pointers, anything else they want to add, whatever it is. But we'll close this out as we do every single episode. So with that. 
The 22 at the Lips podcast is designed to support, not replace the relationship that exists between a practitioner and his or her medical director. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host, guest, and not necessarily of Mastery Medics. The information provided during this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for your approved protocols.